Hanif Qureshi has been a major figure on the literary landscape since he published The Buddha of Suburbia in 1990. His latest novel, Something to Tell You, has drawn comparisons with his first. Both books share the same vital energy, large casts of sometimes comical characters, interests in the shifts in metropolitan life, and ambitious scope. Something to Tell You takes us inside the life and mind of Jamal, a 50-something psychoanalyst who finds people from his student days in the 1970s returning to haunt him in unsettling ways. I asked Hanif what the starting point for the new book had been. I worked on this book for ages. I worked on it, and I think probably from the end of the 90s in some way or another. During the period when I was writing My Ear at His Heart and the films The Mother and Venus, because this novel began with an idea of a relationship between a boy and a girl. And the boy finds out that the girl is having some sort of relationship sexual with her father. The boy then takes some action to end this relationship with the father. And I had this story for ages in my mind. And it seemed like a good one for me. But I then spent a lot of time adding to it. I think it was partly because I turned 50. And thinking that you've been alive for 50 years, 50 years seems ages, half a century. And I began to see that I'd been through and seen a lot. The 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And that this was decent, uh, interesting material for me that I wanted to work into the fabric of this story. It's a very basic, simple story of a boy and a girl. So I spent a lot of time thinking about what else should go into this story and how the story could be continued sometime later i.e. when the boy and the girl who have the relationship meet later on what happens between them but I also wanted to put in numerous other characters that represented different stuff that I've been thinking about I guess so building the structure of what is for me quite a long book took ages and was quite tricky to do did you know quite early on that you wanted to work on a broad canvas though that did it did the story seem to be unpacking itself in in lots of different ways near the start I don't know what sort of writer I am I mean I've often thought that I was a writer who who could do tight short little books like I don't know the body or intimacy or even my ear at his heart little films like my beautiful laundrette I guess and then I think I want to do something that's much more sprawling and madder and wilder and less contained, but sometimes I'm too inhibited about my work. So, And I wanted to write a book, therefore, that was much more, let's say, like The Buddha of Suburbia, which was, a sort of, which was the first novel I wrote, probably. And there was a lot of energy in it and a lot of material in it because it, all this material had been sort of hanging around from my youth and from my childhood. And the comparison has been drawn with the Buddha of Suburbia in exactly that sense that it is a a novel of energy and scale and ambition well I, I, I like doing the bigger books but you can't do them that often mm. because you put everything in all your energy and your ideas a lot goes in the characters that, that can as I say represent different parts of you are used up it's not as though you can keep on doing that stuff I don't think and you mentioned you mentioned madness there, and Jamal, the central character, the narrator of this novel, is a psychoanalyst. And 
madness and treatment and all those questions, fantasies, run through the, the novel. They're an essential part of, of the fabric. When did you decide that Jamal was going to be a, a psychoanalyst? Well, I had an uncle who ran a school for autistic children. An uncle I was very, very fond of, who I spent the summers with. And when I would go to his place, he had all these books by Winnicott and Freud. He had the complete Freud. And he said to me one day, he said, you want to kill your father and have sex with your mother? And I was very shocked by that. And I'd never heard anybody say anything so wild to me. And then I read philosophy at university and was taught by Richard Bolheim, who also taught me psychoanalysis. And being a writer, of course, you're fascinated by the human mind, what's in it, and other people's minds. And psychoanalysis and literature are very close. Literature is, of course, as it were, bigger than psychoanalysis. Uh, and, of course, Freud was fascinated by culture. He never said, in a way, that we should all have psychoanalysis, which would be mad, imagine a world like that. But he said that uh, the action is, is, is in culture. Culture is our therapy. That's where we find each other, and that's where we know each other, and that's where we talk about what's most important and deepest for us, actually, mm. in our culture. And having a proper culture. I mean, he talks about Shakespeare a lot. He talks about Sophocles. And Jamal is very much part of that, because not only is he a psychoanalyst, he is also a writer, and he uses his, his casework to write books, popular books, about the mind and human behaviour and so on. I mean, one of the things that psychoanalysis has provided... There's a lot of writing. I mean, if you type in Freud to Google, you'll, you'll come up with dozens and dozens, thousands, hundreds of thousands of essays and material about psychoanalysis, i.e. it's in a way that you wouldn't, let's say, about, I don't know, cognitive mm. behavioral mm. therapy, that it's created a literature. And I figured, when I went to university to read philosophy, that the answers to the questions that I wanted to know, which were questions about sexuality, about childhood, about authority, about religion, about parents, about why we live, why we die, and so on, that the answers to these questions are far more likely to be in something like psychoanalysis than they were actually in philosophy, mm. which in the days when I read it was much more analytical and, 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 and mostly about what they called concepts. Yeah. Now, Jamal has come to a crossroads, I suppose you might say, the, the epigraph from, from Robert Johnson to the book is, if I remember, I went down to the crossroads, fell down on my knees. And he seems to be using his professional demeanour as a kind of barrier between himself and the world, but the world seems to be increasingly encroaching and making those those barriers come down. I mean, so do you think, is that a fair representation of his position? Well, the point of an analyst, of any kind of therapist, is that they stand back and that they can see the the patient they can see what's going on in the patient's mind that they're not as it were involved in the patient's world and you might say that, that this is also partly a, uh, a position that writers sometimes are said to to, 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 to inhabit which is that we are um, obviously participants in the world um, but also that we are observers too, that we look at what's going on. But he's not simply got that professional distance from his patients, but he's also, he also 
has difficulty perhaps fully engaging and committing with those in his personal life. I think that's probably true also of the of the protagonist in in the Buddha of Suburbia too. Of someone who is keen on um, detachment, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it's partly also a way of constructing a book. I mean, in a way, I have more fun writing the characters who are really not like me than I do writing the characters that are like me, because in a way, you, it's very hard to get a grasp of yourself in any way, but you can write the other people with more fun. I like mm. writing the women, I like writing Henry, I like writing Miriam, and they've got much more energy and spirit, in a way, than the central character. And that's how I like to construct my book, with this sort of um, almost hole in the middle of it but all this wild energy around them going on around the sides. Um, and the energy is in the writing, but I, but I, I like to write from, from, from some sort of still centre, which is some sort of representation of my own mind. Mm. And the other characters are always telling Jamal what's wrong with him or what they think of him. And, you know, as you say, they're, they're sort of very energetic, sometimes larger than life, sometimes quite, quite mad, one could say. In, in the way they conduct their own lives and, and Jamal is, is kind of in the middle being sort of pushed in various directions and increasingly pushed as his past begins to catch up with him and that's really the, the, the driver of the plot isn't it his, the events which you said um, you originally conceived the, the story of the, of, of the boy and girl from the 1970s come back very tangibly to haunt him Well all of Freud is really a, about childhood and and, and, and the adult, as it were, is recovering child. And that means nothing if it's not specific. I, you can only make sense of this in terms of the, of the individual's personal history. Um, so our hero has been involved in a bad thing. And this bad thing shapes his life. This is a picture of all our lives being shaped by our childhood and by the bad things that we have and have not done, mostly have done um, in fantasy. And it's a novel about the idea, partly the goodness only comes out of guilt. That the better people behave, the more guilty they feel. And that guilt, is, in a way, is, is what makes us civilised. But also that makes our lives awful. Mm. And his whole past is really replayed, isn't it? Because of the return of various figures from it that he had completely lost touch with. He, as a result of that, is forced to, to, go, to go back through and confront those feelings of, of guilt and the turning points and you know the what ifs the whole novel is about being haunted in the way that a life is a haunting i.e. that if you repress things and everybody does they'll come back over and over again like ghosts and it, it seemed to me in the end that the book was was essentially quite positive that several of the key characters had kind of worked something through and maybe hadn't sorted everything out but the endings for them also had a, a sense of, of new beginnings it's not a sad book it's quite a happy book but it's got lots of energy and jokes in it it's not a pessimistic book the characters find new life as you say they often find new life at the end they find new life through finding a new vocation or a new way to look at their vocation as, as an artist in the case of Henry or they find other people who cheer them up um, 
So the possibilities of there being new relationships or of there being new chapters in people's lives is never given up on. I mean, the world isn't only a terrible place. If it was only a terrible place, it would be easy to deal with. The fact that the world isn't only a terrible place makes it more terrible. Anif Qureshi, thank you very much. <laughs>